Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Well, this is what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about joy. And um, it's a word that has been released over our house. And then I believe today Jesus wants to do a work in our hearts. So I'm believing for a full Holy Spirit takeover. Because if you know, um, the conversation about joy is only by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Um, And so I'm going to talk to you about joy. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. And we're going to just go into the word of God together and learn. You guys ready? If you're ready, say ready. Okay, you guys are alive today. I love an alive audience. (laughs) Come on, it makes all the difference. I'm thankful that you're here today. Um, So about eight years ago, um, me and Parker had, we were in the middle of our journey of foster care and with our boys and we had years of trying to get pregnant. And I remember that we got pregnant and we were so tied up in the journey of our boys and protecting them and two and a half years of fostering and adopting that really I just forgot that I needed to plan how to have my baby. And so it was about, um, it was about three weeks prior to having our firstborn child, Nariah. I remember looking at Parker, like, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> like, we don't, are we going to a hospital? Like we had gone to doctors, but I started watching videos and I was like, do we want to do home births? Do we want to use a midwife? I mean, you guys, it was like crunch time. And I remember calling a midwife because I had done a lot of research and I was like, you know what? I think we want to do this home birth thing. And I remember sitting in our living area with our midwife and she looked at both of us and she said, you're going to hit this point on your, in your journey of laboring that you're going to want to quit. Like, it's not like if, it's like you're going to want to quit. Any mamas in the house know what that word means? That point you hit when you want to quit? Come on, tell it to me. There's a word for it. Transition. Transition. I knew someone had it. I'm like, do we have enough mamas here today? Come on. There's a lot of you. There's a point every time when you're laboring that you hit this point that you want to quit. So sure enough, I'm laboring with Naraya, and I remember so vividly what everything looked like in my house. Um, You could literally hear a pin drop in my house because I was not a screamer. I needed everything quiet. Um, I remember my bed was situated right before the in front of the fireplace and there was a birthing tub and there was my midwife and doula and there was Parker um, with his GoPro on his head. (laughs) Because not only does he love to create moments, but he also loves to capture them. And so with this being our first um, child that we are laboring with, um, Parker's in the moment um, and not going to miss the moment because that GoPro is right there. So I remember everything and everything that was taking place. And sure enough, this moment hit as I'm laboring. And to be honest, you guys, like for the mamas in the room, you can connect. For the upcoming mamas that I know are in the room, I'm just, um, you're going to make it. Um, So don't let this scare you out of having children like I've done to my girl, Naraya. She's like, mom, I could never do this. Um, And what happened was I'm laboring and it's the most excruciating pain that I've ever experienced in my life. And I hit this moment that it was unbearable. I hit this moment of pain that I'm like, I already thought it was worse and now I've hit this pain. Like I, I cannot go another second. Like I cannot go another moment. And so what I do in this moment is I start yelling, can you just cut her out of me? 
Can you just, just get her out, grab her leg, do something, just get her out of my body. And what's wild is like, that doesn't even really make any sense because what I was asking the midwife to do was to substitute a pain in my life that I was experiencing in my body for an actual deeper, worse pain. And I think that there's a lot of us in the room that I sense that we substitute our pains in our life, trying to avoid the pains in our life, trying to avoid the circumstances in our life to say, can I just trade it for anything else? Can I just, can I, can I lean towards the pleasures of the world? Can I trade out what Jesus is trying to do in my life and substitute really what Jesus is trying to do? And so I sense that some people are overwhelmed with pain, overwhelmed with sorrow, overwhelmed with grief. Man, life hasn't gone exactly like you planned. The timeline is taking way longer. The, the good friend that you've had relationship is leaving. The boyfriend, the girlfriend, there's relational distress. There's financial confusion, and it's causing all of this angst and anxiety in our lives that we're going, man, I know in scripture there's this tension that Jesus calls me to joy. To joy. He calls me to say, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. He doesn't say when you feel like it. He doesn't say when you have all the answers and we've gone through some pain and I know it's hard. My, my last reaction in the middle of pain is to rejoice. My last fleshly reaction is to go, thank you, Jesus. My last response to grief, to sorrow is just going, my first, my first natural response just goes, Jesus, like, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do here? Do you see me? Did I bring this on myself? There's so many of us that go, come on, pain is hard. Suffering is hard. And yet when we signed up to be followers of Jesus, that's what we signed up for. And so while we know that there's this journey of signing up for pain and sorrow, he goes, I'm not telling you not to be sad. I'm not telling you not to grieve, but I'm calling you to rejoice. Does anyone agree that's a little bit of a tension? There's a little bit of a tension there. But what it does is some of us may come in today and we say, I mean, I, I carry joy, but your face doesn't look like you carry joy. <laughs> your attitude doesn't look like you carry joy. Your posture, how you treat people doesn't carry, it's like you carry joy. And I'm in this with you. There's moments that in my head, in my heart, I'm telling myself like the joy of the Lord is my strength, but every other part of me is not responding that way. And I'm like, I need you to catch up. I need my body to catch up with what my mind is saying. And there's this tension. And really there's, there's this pressure in the world to feel pleasure. And it's really, it's really the pressure that causes us to be so miserable because we are filled with things all around us to go, well, if you just do this, you're gonna feel the pleasure. If you look to your neighbor and see how they are living their life, then, and if you just do it just the way that they're doing, you're gonna feel the pleasure. Because the reality is that we can, we can go get ice cream and we can go watch our kids play sports and we can enjoy that. We can have fun and enjoy moments. But Jesus wants to talk to us today about a complete eternal joy.
And so I'm so thankful that we live in an upside down kingdom. Do you guys know what that means? Literally Jesus in the word of God takes everything and flips it on its head. (laughs) Nothing is as it seems. Um, And we live in this upside down kingdom and Jesus takes this passage of scripture. We've been talking about in John, the final words of Jesus, the last moments. Like like if you've ever lost a loved one or lost a friend, those final words, like you're leaned in a little closer. You're leaned in to go, man, these are the last things he's telling me. And so there's a passage that helps us understand this tension and how we don't have to live in the tension, but that our joy can be made complete. Come on, does anyone want complete joy? That no matter your circumstances, you can be riding this roller coaster of emotion. There can be a swirl all in your life, but you're saying my joy is made complete in Jesus. My joy, my emotions, my feelings aren't going to ride the roller coasters of my life, but I have determined to stay steadfast. So we're going to be in John 16. If you have your Bible, will you just say Bible? Come on. We got the babies in the house. I love it. I believe that the babies usher in the presence of Jesus. So let them just roam the halls. Let them roam the room. I'm here for all of them. So this is what John 16 says. We're going to be in verse 16 through 22. The scripture is actually going to be right behind me as well. In a little while, you will no longer see me again, but in a little while, you will see me. And some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? In a little while, you're not going to see me. And in a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they said, what is he saying in a little while? Remind, remind you that like the disciples have no idea. <laughs> like they don't understand life without Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus for years. And now they're going, wait, you're, you're, you're leaving me? Like what? In a little while, I'll see you, but now you're gone? He says, truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Come on, he says you will rejoice and no one will be able to take your, that's Holy Spirit right there. That's saying, hey, nothing is going to be able to snatch, not the enemy, not circumstances, not your job, not financial, not the uncertainties of life. Nothing is gonna be able to take your joy from you. I love this passage because Jesus is in the final hours. He had just left the upper room. He's going right before the garden of Gethsemane. He knows in moments he's gonna be arrested. And in moments, in these moments, these very moments, he's walking. I imagine them like in their sandals and in their garb and, and, and they're walking on probably a dirt road headed towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus had just had the whole conversation with them in John 15 as he was closing out the upper room to say, you know what, like if you just abide in me, everything's going to be okay. So he had prepped them. And now we get to John 16 where he's now, do you know that God's a God of preparation He's a God of preparation. And in this moment, he's preparing them. He's saying, you're going to be really sad. You're going to mourn. You're going to be sorrowful. You're going to experience grief and pain. He says, but take heart. You will rejoice. 
I love when he says, I've said these things to keep you from falling away. Come on, Jesus is the keeper of our hearts. He's a, he's a God of preparation. So he comes and he says, don't worry, I'm going to keep you from falling away. I'm going to be the one that holds and protects and nurtures you. He foresees it all. There's nothing you've gone through or will go through that he has not seen. So this passage is dealing primarily with the emotions of the disciples. Aren't you glad that the Bible talks about emotions? Come on, we live in a very emotion-forward world. And today we're going to go into scripture to see what Jesus says about it. So this is really what I want to help answer today. How do I stay the course? Come on, in 2024, we're committed to stay the course. How do I stay the course to live a life of joy when I'm experiencing so much pain and not look to the pleasures of life to substitute my pain or to substitute the process. Come on, because we want to exchange. We want to exchange one pain for the other. We want to band-aid our situations just to say, if I can just band-aid this, I don't have to actually experience the pain and the sorrow. I can actually help myself experience pleasure. But really what we want to see is that the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. And it's the joy that is made complete in the process of pain. So in John 16, 16, it says this, in a little while, you will no longer see me. But then again, in a little while, you will see me. So what I see here is that there can be joy in the uncertainty. There can be joy in your uncertainty. This is this crux moment right before Jesus is arrested. He's trying to help the disciples really just understand what's about to happen. He's trying to talk them through, like, I'm here now and then I'm going to be gone, but don't worry, you're going to see me again. This is probably the greatest sorrow that any mankind has ever experienced. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus knows the shame and the pain that he's about to experience on the cross, and he's giving his disciples this heads up so that they can understand. And what they're about to walk out is a great mystery. Do you ever feel like you're living a life of great mystery? <laughs> of like, man, God's called me to Boulder, and I don't have a job, I don't have a house, but he's called me here. It feels very uncertain. And so what happens in our life is anxiety rises up. I mean, he's told me that my kids need to go to this school. He tells me that they should go to this doctor. He tells me that I should be going this direction, but man, my finances don't match up. And yet you're telling me to rejoice in the middle of sorrow and pain? Man, I've been praying for years for you to heal my sister, my brother, my dad, my mom, and then you didn't do it. And here I am left in the sorrow and pain, and you're telling me to rejoice always. So there's this tension. Prior to this moment, Jesus had told the disciples where he was going. But even though they knew what was going to happen, their feelings, lean into this, their feelings overshadowed the promises that had been given to them. They had physically walked with Jesus for years. They had seen the miracles of God. They had watched the blind man be able to see. They had watched the glory reign on mountains when Jesus is speaking truth to thousands of people and people coming to salvation and, and seeing Jesus and, and transforming their entire life and giving their lives to him. They had seen all of this, but there's this moment that they're questioning, they're doubting. They're like, Jesus, but where are you going? You're telling me you're going to the Father, but, but you're leaving us? And in this moment, they're allowing their emotions to overshadow the promises of God. 
And can I remind you that in the times of uncertainty, it's not if they will come, it's when they will come. If you're not living in a time of uncertainty right now, bless you. <laughs> I feel like every day of my life, a walk with the Holy Spirit is a walk of uncertainty. It's a walk to go, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to live? Who do you want me to meet with? It's a life of uncertainty and a life of trust. But what grounds us is the promises of God's word which I believe is why he gives us John 15 first, because he's, he's prepping them. He's preparing them for this sorrow that's gonna reap joy. And he's telling me, and he's telling us that we first have to abide in him. He preps them in the abiding. So when we dethrone this uncertainty of life and we rethrone the King of Kings and the promises of what he offers to us, then we will regain the joy that we so desire. There has to be a dethroning of your uncertainties. Some of us have put the uncertainties in the forefront of our minds, the forefront of our emotions, the forefront of how we do things. If I know the plan, then I will go here. If I understand the outcome, then I will go here. Then I can carry the joy. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I have to be king of all of it. I have to be the king of your uncertainties. I have to be the king of the, I have to be the king over your home, over your children, over your life. The other, a, a couple years ago, I was running um, because I used to could get up and run and it not damage my body. And now I do that. And I'm like, oh, is this an, a sign of age? <laughs> like, I just can't get up and run anymore. But I was, um, <laughs> it's definitely the weather. I was running at um, Wonderland Lake. And have you guys ever seen animals when you're on a run? Okay. I saw a mountain lion on my run. And I remember in this moment, seeing the mountain lion and mountain lions are big, right? Like, one, you've, I, you, I've heard of mountain lions and they're scary. They could eat me. They could chase me. I'm definitely not faster than a mountain lion. And so all of this, you know, is, is, is facts about a mountain lion. But in this moment, emotions just don't work like that. Like I didn't in that moment see the mountain lion and go, you're big, you're scary, you're fast. You should feel fear. No, no. <laughs> In that moment, I just felt fear. <laughs> I only felt fear. I didn't, I didn't perceive the logic and the reasoning of, of the fear. I just immediately went to fear. And this is exactly what happens with emotions. Thinking works like that. Thinking you can logically reason out. Emotions and joy, he's not calling us to logically reason out to the end. He's just calling us to it. So it happens what emotions do is it happens to you. The emotion happened to me that day. I see a mountain lion. I didn't logically think about it. And then the emotion happened. I just felt it. So the Bible is filled with these commands, these commands in scripture that we do things that are immediately outside of our control. Commands to go and rejoice, commands to fear not, to be grateful, to be tender-hearted. There are all of these commands that he's telling us he wants them to be auto-responses in our minds and in our hearts. So if this is supposed to be this auto-response, how do we endure the suffering and the pain? How do we endure it? when there's uncertainties, when there's anxieties, when life isn't going like planned. And I'm not talking like a joy that you say I have the joy of the Lord. 
I'm talking about where it literally overtakes your entire body. It overtakes your emotions. It overtakes your attitude. It overtakes your body. It overtakes how you interact with people. It overtakes all of it. Because this is what Jesus is saying. You're going to weep. You're going to mourn. I am leaving you. But you're going to rejoice. And it's going to be a joy that no one can steal from you. That means no person, no circumstance, nothing can steal it from you. So in verse 20, he says this, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. It's not if you will weep and mourn, you will become sorrowful. This life is gonna slap you in the face. I mean, the enemy is gonna try to come in and steal and kill everything that you've worked so hard for, all the moments that you've spent with Jesus to build up the strength and endurance for that moment of pain. The enemy is gonna come and try to kill because this is what I believe about joy. I believe that joy, one, it's a fruit of the spirit, which means that in 16, if you continue to read, Jesus not only starts speaking about this, but he says, hey, I'm gonna send you a helper because I know that you can't do this alone. I've walked with you for a few years. You don't got this on your own. I'm gonna send you a helper suitable for you. And what he said, and what I believe, because this is what the fruit of the spirit does, which in, in chapter 15 of John, he says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And now he's talking about one of the fruits of the spirits, which is joy. And this is what joy does. We become the light of the world through joy. We become the light of the world through joy. Our pain does not become the light of the world. Our suffering doesn't become the light of the world. Our sorrows don't become the light of the world. Our joy becomes the light of the world because it is the helper, the Holy Spirit in us. It is Jesus that is working through us to say, you're gonna be the light. You're gonna go be sent out. And so joy doesn't start with a feeling, it starts with a focus. It's not a point of view, it's a way of looking at things. It's a way of looking at things. Jesus is telling his disciples, yeah, I'm leaving you. He says, I'll see you again in a little while. So he's trying to help them. Like he's not saying I'm just leaving you. He's trying to help them focus their eyes on something. He's trying to help them resituate where their gaze is. And he's going, I need to give you this focus because he says, I will see you again. I'm going to come back in a little while. They don't know. I mean, we're still waiting, (laughs) you know, like poor guys, like maybe they thought it was just going to be a few days. You know, Jesus did resurrect and did come visit them. But like, he's talking about like, I'm going to go sit at the right hand of my father. Can you imagine how excited Jesus must have been? He's going back to his father. And so here in this moment, it's not this absence of sadness or the presence of the spectacular. I don't want you to think that joy is the absence of your sadness. Really, joy doesn't replace sadness. Joy gives perspective in your sadness. It gives perspective in your sadness. It's not a product of what the future holds, the circumstances that we are facing. It's a product of our focus. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set Anyone know it? For the joy that was set behind him, the joy that was set next to him, the joy that was set before him. He said, he says, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him. 
Some of you are looking for joy in your past circumstances. Some of us are looking for joy in comparison, but Jesus says, no, it's set before you, the founder and the finisher of our race. It was set before him. Man, what have you set before you today? In the middle of those circumstances, is it stability? Is it a a phone call to a friend? What is it in those moments that you're setting before you? I mean, I've been here in pain, sitting next to my dad on his deathbed after years, after months of praying for healing and resurrection from my dad's cancer. And in that moment, Jesus didn't decide to do it. And there was more sorrow and more grief. And so I had to, I still physically think in my mind, the joy that's set before me. I will rejoice with my dad again in heaven. Heaven is my home. Heaven is eternal. There's a joy that's set before us, not behind us, not how our circumstances turn out, but before us. And joy is available to you today. She no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now in verse 22, it says this, I will see you again, your hearts will rejoice and no one will be able to take your joy from you. It's not available to you when you get your life together. It's not available to you when you get your home in order. It's not available to you when you repent of everything that you did when you were a child. No, he says his joy is available to you today. And when we understand that no one can steal our joy, we begin protecting our circumstances because we know and we have learned that it's the process that completes our joy. This is what happens when we recognize that joy is for us today. We begin guarding our circumstances a little differently. We begin protecting our circumstances to say, My circumstances do not have control over me. Jesus has control over me. He sits on the throne of my life. I've dethroned uncertainty. I've dethroned the pain in my life. I've rethroned the King of Kings. And we start saying, you know what? Like my child may be hurting and screaming, but I'm gonna go to war. This isn't, the the enemy's not gonna win my battles. He's not gonna win my mind. He's not gonna affect my week. I begin protecting the circumstances and this is why. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And then in the middle of the circumstances, that's exactly where we meet Jesus. It's the point right in the middle of those circumstances that we meet Jesus. The other day, Zion was playing outside as he does often with no shirt on. And he thinks it's summer all the time because he's a boulder baby. And in this moment, he's running and playing and I'm inside cooking and, and I hear him crying. So immediately I just run outside and I'm like, buddy, what happened? You know, big old alligator tears. There's no, t- there's no blood anywhere, but he's clearly so sad. And I just come in and sweep him up and hold him and nurture him and speak truth over him. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. In our moments of greatest pain, he comes running to us. He comes running to offer the Band-Aid. He comes running to nurture you. He doesn't always take the pain away. Rarely does the pain go away, but he's there in the middle of it. And what's so beautiful about our Savior in these moments is that there's things that we can see and experience of Jesus that we could never experience outside of the pain. And he's going, I actually really just, I need you to just keep your focus on me. 
I need you just to keep abiding in me because it's not something that you're gonna muster up on your own because you feel bad, so you go cope with a bowl of ice cream and sit and binge watch Netflix. It's not something that's gonna, you're not gonna be able to substitute this pain to, to receive a temporary pleasure and joy that you so desire. No, he's gonna go, actually, if you just, if you don't substitute it, if you just sit in it, and instead of calling a friend, instead of going to the ice cream shop, instead of going shopping, if you just sit right here in the middle of it with me, I'm gonna meet you there. And I'm gonna show you that I'm a real God that I'm a comforter, that I bring peace, that I'm the king of kings, that, that you know what, I love you so much that I'm not gonna leave you here, but I'm actually gonna return and bring you back home. That I'm, not, that I'm gonna come and meet you in those places and start speaking truth and the promises of God because maybe you forgot them. Because so many times we think that joy is something that we have to muster up on our own because that's what the world tells us about happiness and joy that we have to figure this out on our own. But really Jesus is going, no, like I just wanna meet you in the middle of the, the pain. So joy is produced in the pain and it's, it's made complete. That's the completion, the finality of the joy that no one, nothing can ever take it away from you. I wanted to try and give you this imagery of the process in which we've been talking about, and this is the best I got. So there's gonna be a picture up here. Um, so this was right after Nari was born, um, GoPro on Parker's head. Um, I was not lying. Um, and this is the first moment that I'm holding Nari in my arms and our first moments together, my body's like sh literally shaking because that's what happens when you have a baby and there's so much trauma and what you can't, um, what you can't see in this picture is the years of loss and sorrow, of miscarriage, the years of trying to conceive a baby, the years of fostering and adopting, the years of, of confusion and waiting and uncertainty like Parker talked about last week of just not knowing if we'd be able to be parents. And in this moment, all of it's made complete. All of it's made complete. You could look at this picture and say, well, yeah, you know that you were gonna give birth to something beautiful and it makes the pain easier when you know this. I hear you. I hear you that if we know the outcome, it can make the pain a lot easier. But the disciples didn't know the outcome. They didn't have scriptures in their hand like we did. They, they knew the resurrection was coming. They knew that Jesus said that he was coming back. That they didn't feel it in their emotions. They weren't feeling the joy of the Lord in that moment. Their logic and reasoning were taking over. In Psalms 45, 7, it says this, your God has anointed you. He's anointed you with the oil of gladness. So this is what I think of in this picture is that there's this, there's this embracing of the crushing. There's an embracing that the word of God uses the symbolism of a rock of crushing. That's crushing and pressing so it will produce the complete joy that our hearts desire. And it's a submission. It's a surrender. It's a focus to say, I'm not going to substitute 
I'm gonna surrender in the pain. I'm gonna fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm gonna stay abiding in him. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.